Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I find it very interesting that John goes from the resurrection of Jesus, which should be a celebration and joyful time, to immediately a story about people being afraid. At the beginning of our gospel text, we read that the disciples were together and had the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, afraid that it would be them next, that they would make a clean sweep and get rid of not just Jesus, but all those who were associated with him as well. The text makes it very clear that those who had abandoned Jesus in the garden were still afraid. They were all anxious. They were all hiding. They didn't believe, or at least they didn't understand. And I think it's wrong probably to judge them for that rather than empathize with them. For after all, who wouldn't be afraid? Who isn't anxious or afraid when everything suddenly changes? Something happens that we didn't expect and now we don't know what to do. Who isn't afraid when those presuppositions, when the explanations that we have grown up learning no longer account for what we're up against? Who isn't afraid when reality without warning is shown to be different than what we thought it was? And not to sound too much like Master Yoda here, fear leads to physical response, in this case hiding and stress, Fear can lead to thoughts of anxiety and worry. Fear can even lead to asking questions and completely shutting down. Nevertheless, it is here where fear is abounding in our text and the doors are locked that the resurrected Jesus comes. Our text says that Jesus comes to his fearless and faithless disciples and stands in their midst, greeting them with a peace be with you. Now, after their desertion of Jesus on the day of his crucifixion, the disciples who didn't believe it when Mary said Jesus was raised and said he was coming to them, probably in the back of their minds were thinking, okay, if he is raised, he's going to be coming with some mean words for us, words of rebuke, words of blame, maybe even punishment. Perhaps he will haunt us as if he is an evil spirit for the things that we did wrong when we left him there to die. But instead, this Jesus brings a word of peace, reconciling peace. Now, some might tell you that Jesus says peace right there to calm their fear, their shock in the moment. But I think it is the repetition of the promise of the gift of peace that is much more significant than just calming down their nerves. See, it is a resurrected Jesus who is bringing peace. Jesus had faced and defeated now all of the forces which destroy our peace. When he says, peace be with you, he was doing infinitely more than just expressing some wish. He was making a declaration. He was bestowing a benediction. He was imparting a blessing. In him, sins are forgiven. Peace, not condemnation. By him, the power of sin is broken. Peace, not slavery. And our lives are now settled for all eternity because we have peace, not fear in death. For it is our Savior who takes our fears, gathers our cares and worries, and gives peace. 
So if you hear nothing else today, hear that Jesus comes to you. Though you may be the most unworthy of all people that you have ever met, convinced that the only lie in the Bible is when St. Paul says he's the chief of all sinners, thinking, nope, that one is me. Hear that Jesus comes to you, for he is your Jesus, your Lord, who loves you, who bought you with his very own blood so that you may have peace. Not know about peace, not wish for peace, have. And if you sit here today, like many of us saying, all right, cool, here we go again. I have peace. But do I? I mean, look at my life. Look at my situation. Look at what's happening. But no, 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 Jesus said it. So sure, thanks for the peace. I will tell you when I have peace, pastor. When my situation changes, then I will have peace. When I see with my own eyes my problems fixed, then, then I will have peace. There was a disciple who was not there when Jesus came and declared peace. And because of that, he didn't believe. The text says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not there. So the disciples tell him, we've seen the Lord. But he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in his side, put my hand and to his side, I will not believe. You know, Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. Have you heard of that? You've heard him called that? I've heard him called it too. I think it's a title that misstates his air here and ignores what eventually does become of Thomas. It's kind of like Jim Halper, who one time broke from his usual routine of eating a sandwich and had tuna. And then for eight seasons, his nickname was Big Tuna. Nobody watches The Office but Micah. That's weird. See, he told me to do that joke and it didn't work. <laughs> because truly, seen in the text here, he could say that, we could say that Thomas doesn't doubt here. He plainly and strongly refuses to believe. Thomas refused to believe the testimony of many witnesses, reliable witnesses, people that he had lived life with for three years. He goes so far as making a demand, an extreme demand for evidence. Evidence not only of sight, but also of touch, to touch the multiple wounds of Jesus. And he steadfastly refuses to believe unless these conditions are not met. I will not believe. I think he was so convinced by the tragedy and the brutality of the crucifixion that he thought that others, his friends here, are in this denial. They're grasping at a fake hope. Because I think he had abandoned hope. The facts, having convinced him that the pierced side and wounded hands, the hanging on a cross, was such a certain and final death that resurrection was impossible. And don't we just relate to that too? The logical side of the brain that says, here is the facts, and there is no changing them. The reasoning that says what's done is done. Maybe Thomas thought the others so guilty that they needed Jesus to come back and promise them peace. But he, Thomas, the reasonable one, he knew better. What's done is done. And we need to find a way, friends, to move on, Thomas would say to the other disciples. Because there's no such thing as resurrection, as new life, as forgiveness. We are going to get what we deserve. We thought it would be different but look around and see. 
that the way of life that Jesus promised is gone because he's dead. And we will be too if we don't stop talking about it. Fear. Unbelief. And no hope. A week later, his disciples in the house again, Thomas with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, or better translated like we just sang. Stop being faithless and have faith. Thomas says, My Lord and my God. Words that are not a mere explanation of surprise or a quick response to get out of the trouble for what he'd been saying about Jesus. They mean what he says. You are my Lord and you are God. Belief. Faith. See, for a Jew to call another human Lord and God is incredible. Yet in the light of the resurrection, Jesus is Lord and God. See, the faith of Thomas here becomes just another miracle of Jesus in John's Gospel. For throughout the Gospel, Jesus has triumphed over sickness, over sin, over evil men, over death and sorrow, and now with Thomas conquers unbelief. Who knows, maybe Thomas's example shows us that not everybody gets the same things at the same time. That each one of our journey in faith is different. But that Jesus always remains the same. Jesus' interaction with Thomas shows us that the resurrected Jesus is full of love, graciousness, and gentleness. And that will never change. When we feel ourselves afraid or struggling to believe, which is only human, Jesus doesn't stop doing what he does. See, I think it's when struggling to believe becomes stubbornness or refusal. That's dangerous. When you turn away and give up because of fear, that harms your faith. But when you are afraid, when you are struggling, let those struggles deepen your faith. Search for the answers. Be confident that He, the Lord Himself, will meet you. I cannot tell you the amount of times Pastor Tim has told me that you are either moving closer to God or further away from Him. So draw near, Trevor, to the one who loves you. When you are afraid, do not hide. Don't give up and let that fear take over you. Instead, let the spirit of courage that you have been given drive you to Jesus in prayer, in his word, and confident that the Lord himself is with you, that God sees you, that God hears you, that God loves you. Now, he is not probably going to appear to you in physical form, but even now, the Lord is with you through the Holy Spirit. You can talk to him. You can find his words in the pages of the Bible. He even sends other people to you to encourage you, bring consolation and comfort to you when you struggle. It's why the disciplines 
of being in the word, of praying and serving one another in love are not options for us as Christians, but are mandatory, necessary. For through the word and prayer and the sacrament, we receive what only he can give. So that, so that we can give as we have been given to. And what is it? What is it that we have been given so that we can give it to others? Peace. Fear is never meant to be a permanent condition. It's there in the moments of fear where we have to hear the words of the Lord again from John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives this for that. Transactionary. I give peace freely. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because it's in that moment, friends, where the voice of Christ is alone what will bring you peace. A voice that picks you up, that right hand reaching down and saying, follow me. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of thinking that it's really hard to follow Jesus. How hard it is to believe. I say after the resurrection, we should be saying how amazing it is to follow Jesus. He walks on water. Death does not hold him. He gives the Spirit without limit. He fills us with love and gives hope. And invites us to walk in that, to follow Him. To live by faith and not by sight. To look beyond what our eyes can see. And to simply say, you are my Lord and my God. And by believing in Him, have life in His name. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who haven't, and yet they believe. And Jesus performs many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life. See, when, Tom, when Jesus says to Thomas and he's speaking to him about faith, he's not talking about a subjective faith, a, a Janet Jackson faith, a what have you done for me lately, Lord? But a satisfied faith. A faith that is satisfied with what God gives no matter what. Not yearning for visions or miracles or these experience of out of body or some form of success. And then we'll know, Lord, that you love us and you favor us. But a faith that simply believes in the words spoken by Jesus. That he does promise to bring and give you peace. And to bless you. Because it's there where we believe in faith that our sight is opened to the life that we have been given. A life that isn't afraid and seeing all that's wrong, but instead is open to eyes and the wonder and beauty around us. See, faith, faith is what takes all of those things that make us afraid, that disorientate us, that, that, that says, you don't know what's going to happen next, so how can you be so sure? And says, there is far more here than what your eyes could ever see. Faith says that when life changes unexpectedly, it is the Lord himself who will remain constant and stand with you. 
Faith says that even if you don't know what is going to happen, I am in control and I am with you. And faith says, thanks be to God that there is far more going on than just what I can see. See, in the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus, God reveals and introduces to us something truly life-giving, truly wonderful, truly free. The ability to believe that we are not the center of our own existence, that we are not all that matters. And that it's okay if we don't know exactly what's going to happen next. Living by faith and wonder means you don't have to walk with these expectations, but instead you can walk with hearts and eyes open to the work that God is doing in your life. Because when Jesus' resurrection is at the center of your life, then you see wonder and realize that you are a part of something that is so much bigger than just yourself. It's why when we say Christ is risen, good, you still got it. Everything changes because we marvel and are filled with joy at what is happening. The miracles and deeds of Jesus can't be contained in one book because they are still happening. They're still ongoing in each one of our lives. So I say coming out of this Easter, coming out of this resurrection, let us embrace the wonder of Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to approach life like it's just some Saturday morning self-help project where we're going to set our goals, do our techniques, check again to see how well we did, and then do the whole thing over again. Never looking for wonder, just resigning ourselves to a monotonous life over and over and over again. That's just the garden all over again. If all we ever expect to see is fear, then all we're going to do is hide. He died and rose so that we could be free. He gave his blood to redeem us, to reclaim us, so that we could live, live by faith, and have our eyes and hearts opened to the wonder around us. We have new life placed purposefully called by name to love and to serve in his world, his kingdom. So I say we bear witness to the presence of Christ, that we bear witness to the work of Christ that is still ongoing and continues to this day. And we will love until he returns and settles everything once and for all. What I'm saying is that the time is now. The time is now to serve in love, to look beyond what just what we can see and what we're used to, and to embrace this new life that Jesus has given us. See, I don't think Thomas reached out and touched the open hands of Jesus because he didn't need to. What he needed to do in that moment after declaring that he is God is to get his hands open and get going. It's been a very long time since I have called from the pulpit for you to join your church in coming around these kinship and foster families. But friends, the success stories of what is happening, 
Families that were going to put the child into foster care until church members wrapped around them and just dropped off meals, helped with transportation, prayed. I have seen caretakers move towards adoption rather than leaving the child and placing it into foster care. There are those among you who have experienced renewal and seen people who have no hope to be able to live again. Each one of us can do that. Each one of us can give a meal. Each one of us can help these who have nothing. Each one of us can give what we have been given. Peace. Peace. Your Lord Jesus gives you peace. So let us open our hands and let us share with the abundance that we have been given. Amen.